Welcome to the Watch OK Please podcast, a podcast where three friends try to convince each other to devote what little time they have left to watch more TV and or movies than they've ever wanted to watch. Please join us while we argue about our media cues and waste everyone's valuable time on things that just don't matter. Hey Watchers, it's Nine, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Watch OK Please podcast. On this week's feedback segment, Dan and I give Scott our feedback on the movie One Night in Miami, which is available on Prime Video. As usual, the feedback segment does get a bit spoilery, so please be warned if you're trying to avoid spoilers for One Night in Miami. Then later in the pod, I pitch the reality dating competition show F-Boy Island, which is available on HBO Max. The episodes I'm recommending that Dan and Scott check out are episodes 1 to 3 of season 1. If this podcast is the best thing you've ever heard or the worst thing you've ever heard, please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you hit us up on our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook pages, you'll probably get a response from one of us if that's a thing you want. Finally, if you have a show or movie you want us to watch, please leave us a voicemail on our Anchor page at anchor.fm slash watchokplease. All right, watchers, let's get into it. Hello, this is Scott, and we are here now for the feedback from the movie One Night in Miami, which is available on Amazon Prime, about what might have happened in 1964 in a hotel room with Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke discussing a variety of topics largely related to each of their roles in the civil rights movement at the time. So, Nyan and Dan, what did you think? All I have to say is the, those damn white people at the Copa. Yeah, they were so boring. Know, right? They didn't even want cigarettes. Like, that, they were just terrible. I, again, for a place that, you know, has a very exotic name, they tend not to have exotic tastes. It's just very funny like that. It was very sad. Yeah, well, and how about Bo Bridges not letting Jim Brown into his house? Yeah, that's on my list too. I, I had I, I had lots of issues with that one. So, yeah, well, that's sadly unsurprising. So, um, speaking of speaking of speaking of the house, though, was that the same house they used in Forrest Gump? I was thinking it might have been. Really? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was. It looked because the the way the shot looked on the property from like afar looked very similar. Okay. Yeah, I didn't actually even think of that, but it very well could be. Yeah, that that was the, the those opening scenes were were definitely hard to uh, hard to stand for sure. Yeah, it's kind of scary because you know, there are still you know modern examples of the very same thing. <laughs> so, yep, it was like on my radar, um, but I, I definitely wasn't expecting the the performances from you know on this perspective from these people because and the cast I think is pretty amazing. I mean, you have like. The main four are amazing themselves, but even the supporting cast. I mean, the guy who plays uh, Brother Kareem is Lance Reddick, uh, most famously for me from from Fringe. You know, Aldous Hodge. You know, from I know him from Leverage, and I you know Lizzie Odom Jr. Of course, as you mentioned from the pitch from Hamilton. Everyone here has like a, a, a lot of you know cred going into the movie, and so that it lends itself to me wanting to believe their interpretations even more. I think for me, but if we're going to talk about the cast, there might. I, I agree with what you said, Dan, but one of my other notes was it's very minor. Uh, it just involved seeing Michael Imperioli and Larry Gilliard Jr. being the <laughs> ringman for Cassius Clay. And, I was, and my, my note was, I like that The Wire and The Sopranos hang out together. Yeah. Like, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like, I know, why yeah. wasn't this an HBO movie? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's like, how did they, how did they get, get these people when it wasn't HBO? It was very funny, yeah. I mean, that, and that's immaterial, because I, I agree with you. The performance were, performances were excellent. They did a good job. And also, I, I was in the same boat in terms of it. It was on my radar. It was on my list for a while. Just kind of never got around to it. It was a good opportunity to actually watch it. I actually wa- finished watching it right before we we, uh, we were recording this. And oh, wow. Because I wanted to schedule the time for Kate to see it at the same time, because schedule is uh, yeah. just more working out, because she wanted to see it as well. But she also really enjoyed it. That said, I could tell that this was a play. Yes, and, I was going to say. I was going to say this. This. This is one hundred percent stage play. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. we you could cut out the first. We we noted we paused it forty minutes in and said, "Wow, it's getting interesting now." And it only took forty minutes. I mean, it, it definitely took off from there. But you could 
it very much seemed like that is where the play started. Yeah, and... I, I'm, I was 100% imagining a, a rotating set. So, like, there'd be, the main set would obviously be the hotel room, but then you could have, like, outside the hotel room being, like, a, a third of the set, and the other third could be, like, you know, miscellaneous other, you know, reset sections, like the Fountain Blue, for example, or even the, or even the ring, you know, so to speak. They, they could show, like, one side of the ring with with uh, Cassius sitting on one side of the ring when, you know, during the break. They wouldn't just need to show him fighting Sonny, per se, in the play. They just have him come off stage, basically, or onto stage, from that but yeah there's a lot of different ways you could could have played it pun intended <laughs> yeah it, and it certainly seemed like the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes maybe were added for the movie i would have to think because those are the scenes that took place outside of the hotel room sure i mean they could easily just shift to a different scene and and make that you know like have the johnny carson stage or whatever as part of the set so it's not it's not entirely about outside of the realm possibility that those later scenes were in the play, but I could see the argument for them or the potential for them not being either. Yeah. Yeah. Th and it, that part of actually reminded me of a few good men, which also see it based on a movie based on a play that largely takes place in one room. And then they just mm -hmm. add in a few elements outside of that for the movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely, I could definitely see that definitely did. Uh, appreciate also the rest of the supporting cast as well you know i, I thought the performance uh from Mal malcolm's wife was was very good and i agree uh, and then um a little known fact the person who played sam cook's wife is actually leslie odom odom jr's wife oh wow good for him so yeah so she <laughs> she, she she was she looked absolutely absolutely stunning and for the record but yeah, but I mean, I thought that was because like, they, they have really good chemistry together. How is that? You know, and I had, I, so I had to look it up. I'm like, oh, now I understand. <laughs> I, think, I think on the main cast, my main notes were for the guy who played Jim Brown and the, the guy who played Malcolm X. Not to say that the other the other actors weren't were bad, but I just I was very impressed with the dude who played Jim Brown. I think it's yeah. Aldous Hodge, who because yeah. I literally thought he was like he. I was hearing Jim Brown. He nice. sounded so much like him, at least what I remember of Tim Brown anyway. I, th I thought that the voice work for that was spot on. Yeah. And then I, I, Malcolm X, the, Spike Lee's film, is one of my favorites of all time. So it was going to be awesome real film. hard to stand up to, to Denzel. Yeah, man. Like, it's just so good. So, and yeah. Denzel destroys, sl slaughters in, the, in yeah. that movie. Absolutely. And I have to say, this guy definitely did a good job. Kingsley Benadire, I think. Yes. Um, as as Malcolm X did did a good job. I you know I'm not going to put him up. I'm not you know I'm not asking him to remake all of Denzel's famous roles, but um, <laughs> I think he he did a good good job with uh, with his work on Malcolm. So those are the two performances that stood out to me. I I love again Aldous Hodge. You know his work on Leverage for me just like he. So there are some episodes that he that he did on that show that just like literally he literally made the show. I mean, the writing also made the show as well. But there was a lot of amazing cast members and leverage there as well. And I think that what I like about him is whenever he goes into a role, I think he really not just fulfills the role that he's you know he's being he's playing, but he also really goes out of his way to create those relationships and work those relationships in the performance as well with whoever he's on stage with. Or whoever he's, you know, he's playing against. So I think that's, you know, a, a, a big kudos to him on that perspective. Yeah, it's funny. I, I looked him up on IMDb as his bio went through all the credits. I was like, oh, and then I really, and then they were talking about him being an artist and just designing luxury timepieces. I'm like, does he just do all the things? Like, yeah, <laughs> he sounds like a fascinating individual. Yeah, modern Renaissance man of sorts. Yeah, yeah, not the Danny DeVito kind. <laughs> that was a good movie, though. I like that movie. I, I'm not mad at it. I, I enjoyed that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me too. And also, I thought it was interesting, or I appreciated that. I think, I guess, especially I'm thinking of the Ali, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X performances were different than other portrayals of those people I've seen in other things. So like Nyan, you mentioned the mm -hmm. Denzel performance in Malcolm X, but it seemed like they were trying to show different sides of, of these people. When you think about, you know, Will Smith in his performance, you know, it, it, yeah. it is a kind of a, a different, a different way of doing this in a lot of different ways. His exterior persona where he's out there, you know, in the ring and, and out with the people, basically he's got that, you know, that, that brash un, un, unafraid kind of idea, you know, 
some of his lines were just were, were absolutely hysterical. It's like you know, he's like, you should see him up close. He's looking ugly. You know that was like that was a great line. <laughs> and then and, and I love I love I love how he kept saying like why am I so pretty? And I I like to think um you know when Uptown Funk was written that gotta kiss myself I'm so pretty was taken from that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Oh yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought that was I thought that was really 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 awesome in that regard. But yeah, it's a de- but I also liked how kind of vulnerable he was in the hotel room because it's like almost like yes. like you're seeing again it was a good symbolism of basically of them being inside the hotel room basically and in, again and they weren't at the fountain blue hotel they weren't at some random you know this is a more you know black hotel that they were at and i think that it was interesting to see how that, that it was placed there and not any place else not at a random you know restaurant not at a random bar you know this is where they chose to do it and it kind of was a, a microcosm of sorts to the rest of you know the issues that they were talking about and dealing with. I felt like that was they worked that in well, and that it, it was ultimately not going to be. I mean, it was much more conducive to black folks at the time because they probably would have been kicked out of other places or treated very poorly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't just hang out in the lobby like people do now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think in all, at least for uh, Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown, I think they're often either portrayed or they're understood to have these larger than life public, like public persona, at least mm-hmm. that they're all like these huge, both like literally and figuratively there are Malcolm X wasn't that big, but you know, Jim Brown and cash of clay, they're both like literally very large human beings and also just have mm-hmm. these amazing uh, reputations. And, you know, even now after Muhammad Ali's passing, sadly, and even though Jim Brown hasn't played football for like 40 years, they're still considered, they're still revered, they're still discussed, they're still in like in the public consciousness. But in this, you know, out of the spotlight, as this movie showed, they all had their own insecurities about different things yep. that they were doing. Yeah. And another like anecdote like that was that would tie it in later was the when they were talking to uh, Jim about his his role that he got in the Western, you know, he, he plays a black action hero who gets killed. Yep. Very <laughs> early like, on. Right? I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, really, really. I'm like, yeah. Like they, 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 they just, they ran, they ran right in with that trope. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yep. Uh, based on my notes, Scott, I, it seems like you raised six different reasons why it, why would we enjoy this? And you kind of covered one in terms of seeing these guys in their private thoughts and and not seeing them in their public personas. But I wanted to touch base on the other ones. Um, so the first thing you said in, in the pitch previously was that it, it was something different from what you usually propose, which I don't know if that's necessarily a selling point, but it is different, definitely, because um, yeah, I don't think you've pitched anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, but then there was just being interested about learning these four, about these four particular people. I mean, I, I kind of knew about them already, pretty familiar with, I mean, Malcolm X is one of my favorite movies learned lots about him, was aware of Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, those folks. So this wasn't as, that wasn't as big of a draw for me to, to watch this movie. I mean, still enjoyed it overall, but it wasn't a specific selling point. And then, well, if the third point was actually kind of a question you had for us, which I think probably gets better and more into the substance of the movie is trying to, watching the movie to see who you might agree with in terms of their point of view. And actually, maybe that's a question for, for you and Dan right now in terms of viewpoints was there one you lean towards more than the other do you feel like things were balanced pretty evenly i, I mean I, I tend to think i appreciate seeing everyone's side of it because i think they all had valid points i mean i tend to lead malcolm a little bit but what did you where'd you guys go mm. it's actually an excellent question i mean uh i mean for me Mal- malcolm you know he's not afraid to tear off the proverbial band-aid because in, in order to really treat a wound you really need to get to the source, you know, you know, just kissing it and making it better when you're, when you're little helps, you know, psychologically speaking, but in the end, you know, if it, it, the wound is already going to get infected, you really need to disinfect it and, and it's going to hurt like hell while you're doing it. You know, un- I do think that it is important to be able to candidly and unabashedly be able to examine an issue. And so that's where, you know, Malcolm, I think really, you know, brings the point home. He's like, he's like, I'm calling a spade a spade here and you, you really need to address this issue. I mean, that being said, you know, if you ha- happen to be in a position 
like Sam was to reach and reach out and, you know, proverbially, you know, touch with your voice. Some of the audiences, I do appreciate that kind of mindset as well. I mean, it'd be great to change things within the system, but to be perfectly honest, you know, there's so many different levels of discrimination, you know, even beyond, you know, just racial discrimination that are constantly being dealt with in the, in the modern, in the modern times. And I think that not everyone is able or willing to have that candid, you know, conversation about, things and rip off the proverbial band-aid and so i think that you know it takes a crew of it might take a, a, a person who's very a bit of all these kinds of uh viewpoints but i think above all else that you have to be able to come out there and get the issue on the table and not just scurry around and saying oh you know it, it, it uh, you know everyone out there is like well you know i'm not racist but i mean that's already you know that you, the second you hear that you know that this is not going to be a productive conversation. Yeah. So it's, it's and you have to be able to call people out and as as they are and as they as they as they may not think that they are, but they actually you know subconsciously are. So it it had been a really long time since I'd seen the movie Malcolm X or really had read a lot, was aware of his approach or kind of what he was, how he went about trying to create change. But certainly it seems like he's very much upfront, right? And like Dan was saying, really not afraid of ripping the Band-Aid off. And well, as, whereas Sam Cooke seemed like he was doing, he was still, tr- they were still trying to achieve the same goals, but in their own ways. And Sam's, how Sam was doing it was much more under the radar. Yeah. Where, and the, the story he told about the Rolling Stones song, It's All Over Now, whereas like when uh, saying that that came from a black artist from his label and that any, every time that the, the Rolling Stones version was played on the radio, like that was more money like in his pocket and the, the writer of the song in his pocket, more money for the writer of the song who was black also, but no one knew that, or at least I don't think anyone knew that. This is new to me. I didn't realize that that was the situation. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing, even though it's not as in your face, maybe as Malcolm X would have liked. It was still like that. That was his way of trying to change the system, even though it wasn't as visible. Yeah, and I think that you know, there you're you're talking about inequality on so many different levels too. I think because you know, Sam's story really uh, addresses economic freedom, and I think that that is incredibly important because. There are so there's so much systemic issues across the board here, whether it's, you know, back in the day, you know, with, you know, pre-Community Reinvestment Act, where there is this idea of districting and who could and could not qualify to basically get uh, get a loan, get assistance for purchasing a home. And, and you know, if you, were, you weren't allowed to purchase homes in certain areas, I mean, this all kind of goes into that. So economic freedom, having the, a capital base to actually work from and having, you know, actual, you know, disposable income, that's a huge thing. You know, there are people. There's one. There's one thing that I think a lot of people all see eye to eye on is that they, they don't mind seeing green in a lot of cases. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I think that, you know. So I don't disagree with Sam's approach, but it, it unilaterally can't only be that because for every artist that is able to get a royalty like that, there's going to be at least you know 99 percent of the people who will not have that kind of arrangement. That's so a good point. So you're saying yeah. you're leaning more towards. More towards Sam's, or um, no? Well, I'd, 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 I'd say I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with the idea of econ- economic freedom, but I think it's more, I think it's more important to get the issue in the forefront and to to basically unpack and really re systematically address the nature of our societal systems that are keeping this inequality intact across the board here. Because I think that you know, so I think that you know. The first step is you have to basically do rip off the bandaid, but you have to be able to say, okay, well, if we're not going to have what we currently have here, you need to have a series of next steps, if you will. So I think that, you know, having, you know, getting people to be economically independent is a good first step in that regard, trying to at the same time not be as maybe violent. And maybe calm the people is also uh, important as well because again, you you want to have a frank conversation, but you don't necessarily need to have it at gunpoint in, in some ways. So there, I, I think there's, it's a very complex issue, and I think that there isn't a single. Like I said, in my mind, I think the first step is you need to have somebody like a Malcolm come in there and really break things up and, and really have them 
bring things to the forefront and that's got to you have a revolutionary basically you have it you start you have the revolution first and then afterwards basically you can go through and re- systematically rebuild with the hope that maybe the next time around it might, it will be more equitable in that regard but again the, the key thing is that the person who will be at the forefront can't be just another white person again that's the thing so <laughs> okay so that, that makes sense to me dan so scott who 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 do you agree with um between the, the all, all the folks uh in the in the movie based on their viewpoints uh, i think so that's more than the other yeah, I was going to say it's hard to pick just one person, and I think what Dan was saying is is true too. That one method is not going to solve the problem, and I, uh, I think, I mean, obviously we're still dealing with these issues today, so this is not anything that could be solved in in one fell swoop. But mm. I think that Sam made a very valid point, and I think maybe Malcolm was a little harsh on him in his criticism. Of saying, well, you know, you haven't done anything with your with the platform that you have, and whereas he was trying to, but again, it just was more under the radar, so it was harder for people to know what he was doing. So you're saying you probably lean more towards Sam's point of view, for if we're going to call this a spectrum, right? Like, uh, yeah, probably with Malcolm yeah. on one side and Sam on the other. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, also yeah. with Cassius Clay, just the. It, it seemed like for, with him was more of like he was just being himself, but also showing that, trying to say that it was okay for a black man to act that way and that he was not going to let someone tell him that he couldn't carry on like that just because of just because of his brains, which was a, a bold statement as well, even if it wasn't overtly something that he was saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, I think of it that way. So if, if, if Malcolm is the revolutionary, and then you know you have Sam kind of being more, being more of a, a different kind of idea, and then Cassius being that independent spirit of of sorts on top of that, and then and then you have Jim coming in who has you know a certain underst- understanding of some uh, greater society, more I'd say more societal representation i guess because you know he ha- he is a personality and he was i don't i would not refer to him as an you know of, as you know as they refer to him in the movie in regard to when he's playing for all these people in the nfl but i think that at the same time you know he understands movement so and transition i think that more so than i think a lot of the other other people would so i think that you know he he is kind of a a, a mortar between the rest of the bricks in my mind so i think that there's you know, everyone here has a valid viewpoints, like you know, nine. You were saying before, and I think that, you know, in, in an ideal world, you know, we'd have a lot of these people. Then I think we we need to have a fifth person who is a proverbial builder to kind of you know help build things out in the, in the long term, and then and eventually, basically, you know, uh, probably a sixth person who will become the ultimate leader of a more idealized, larger society. Hopefully, but so what you're saying is it, it takes a village, and we are the village people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that, and <laughs> we should all just go hang out at the YMCA. I think I think it's a great idea, you guys. I've heard good things. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So the so would you, would you say that the answer, my friends, is oh, going in the wind? Yeah, probably. It was really windy today, so I'd say so. Very possible. Nyan, were who would you say you were leaning maybe towards more than the others? If if you're I think it's just personality wise, I tend to lead Malcolm in terms of the sort of the focus really pulling the band-aid off and revealing the uh the issues and being more straightforward and direct about things I find that that tends to be more of I tend to be a bit more blunt a little more blunt than sam i'd like yeah, to be blunt. sam That's a good but I, I i'm more i'm more malcolm uh in a lot of ways so yeah. just just from a personal personality perspective i think maybe the way i conduct myself from a business perspective is it probably a little bit more sam but i'd rather be malcolm yeah, well, I, I I feel like that now that we've talked about this, I think we, I think that you know immediately after this, uh, BuzzFeed or someone's going to come up with a uh, survey to determine you know which which of the which character are you from one, one night in Miami? <laughs> <laughs> if it's not, I'm sure it already exists. It probably already exists. I I I, 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 t- I just <laughs> didn't want to admit it. <laughs> Scott, like there were three other points you raised in in your pitch, and it was what, whether that we would find it fascinating to be near these people and hear them discuss seminal issues. I, that I would agree. That actually, that was interesting. I guess the thing is, I, 
And maybe it's because I've just seen so many similar movies over the years that it didn't carry as much punch as I, I thought it might. And I mm. think I, I was thinking about it and was, was talking through it. And I thought maybe if you didn't know about these people at all, and this was your first exposure to them or your, your previous exposure to them was more limited, that might carry more weight because I think it is a really good insight into them as human beings. But for me, it didn't carry as much because I was like, oh yeah, no, I, I know these guys. I've, I've, I've learned so much about them over the years that it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily as as big of a, a pull into the the movie itself. I mean, not saying it, it, they did a bad job. It just was for me. It wasn't as mind blowing in that sense. Mm. Okay. And then, and then you brought up yeah. seeing people in their private thoughts. Uh, I mean, yeah, you get that with a lot of sort of historical fiction in a lot of ways. So that's a, not. I mean, you could call that well, maybe not private thoughts. But I was thinking the analog that immediately came to mind was Frost Nixon. Um, oh, because then you could, you're, you're, I mean, that's another movie where you're seeing, you know, famous figures. I mean, it's during the Frost Nixon interviews, but to an extent, you're getting people in their private thoughts in a, a in a film. So, I mean, it's definitely a genre. So I could mm -hmm. see the the interest there, but it's not necessarily my genre all the time. Uh, I feel like at this point in my life, it's got to be I've got to have a good reason to kind of want to pull into one of those. Mm. And then finally, you said that you, we might have a different take on these people after watching this movie, which I don't know if I necessarily do, because going through them all, I mean, Muhammad Ali seemed like Muhammad Ali. Malcolm X seemed like Malcolm X, as, as I kind of expected. Jim Brown, maybe a little bit more mm -hmm. of a twist than I, I would have I would have thought. And then I did learn more about Sam Cooke. Like that was yeah. I, I, learned, I would say I learned the most about Sam out of here, for sure. Yeah, same here. Although I didn't really know very much about him at all, other than some of his songs or uh, hearing some of his songs. But yeah. yeah, how about how about yeah. that Boston show? Yeah, <laughs> wow, that was nuts. That was that I was mean, pretty cool. That yeah. that, that was again. It was a really kind of neat kind of a thing, and I, and I'm glad that he, you know, chose that song. You know, uh, the Chain Gang. You know, because I think that there's. You know, it's it's been depicted in a lot of other a lot of other movies as well. Uh, you know, specifically, you know, one comes to mind. You know, with you know the, the scene where they're you know at a boot camp, and and they're and they're singing that song as they're doing their 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 marching. You know, and that just and so I immediately thought of that scene. That's the sound of the man. Yeah, for me, it was like you know, it kind of brought me back to that another another movie and another moment in regards to how. Oh, I don't realize how much you know. Maybe Sam Cooke has impacted soundtracks and other kinds of media in that regard so that, and that was really great and it helped that let you know that leslie odom jr he he really slayed the songs he was oh, yeah and he, he really rocked them <laughs> so good yeah yeah definitely and he i i'm it seemed like he sound he had quite a similar sound to sam cook as well in the mm -hmm. um i think they played snippets of some of the yeah i think malcolm x played a, a little bit of some of his uh, records and i assume that was yep. actual sam cook and right yeah i mean, I mean leslie they odom jr they might have made it leslie odom jr recording sam cook's music just so it matched up i i looked at the i tried to look at the the the, the credits and then got almost all the songs they had him re-record at least uh, okay almost well that all, might explain almost, it. All of them, almost all of them but yeah but still yeah i can imagine that there are probably not that many people who could reasonably you know, match Sam Cooke's uh, musical talent about Leslie Odom Jr. is certainly one of them. It's one thing if you can match like the timber or the notes, but then yeah. adding in, you know, adding in the smoothness and the vibrato and all. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I'm no vocal coach here, you know, and I don't, and, and just because I was, you know, I, I may have, may have been involved in, in, in a group in the past doesn't mean that, you know, gives me full knowledge in this, but I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, qualities of his voice that he was able to kind of manipulate and really kind of push forward there you know you go to any late night host they bring somebody on and they'll say oh we're gonna have these people do you know an impression of this person or that person and it's like and some of those people do really amazingly honestly and there's a lot of people on tiktok do the same thing and it's cool to see you know someone assimilate not just into the voice but into the full mannerisms and role again i, I i've never seen sam cook interact at, out of outside of what I've heard heard recordings of, but you know, it, it'd be, I'd love to hear what people think about these their interpretations of people who've actually known these individuals. That that thing would be super interesting to me. 
Yeah, that is, the, I, I agree with you about that. Yeah, I wonder if they worked with any uh, like family members of Muhammad Ali or other people, yeah, or Jim Brown. It's it's also very sad to think that two of these people actually died within a year of this event, you know, supposedly mm -hmm. taking place. True. So there is a piece of homework that I would like to push out to the to to the audience out there. If you've not done so already, go out there and read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's been years since I read it. I, I think I, I actually, I think I actually read it. Believe it or not, I might have read it in high school actually. And I, get, I, I, I had one, I had one uh, English teacher who tended to, to choose certain things off the beaten path, and it was very cool to read that. And actually, I read the Agony and the Ecstasy in a history class. Uh, speaking of speaking of other you know famous individuals out there, the Michelangelo. So it's like, so yeah, every it, it's always you know cool to kind of you know go out there and understand people more so than you might see them in a TV or movie show in that regard. So. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think I read have read the biography autobiography yet. So especially after watching this movie, I would be very interested in getting that uh, additional or, or different kind of take of, of his of his thoughts for sure. Yeah. And I think I think you you get a little bit more into some of the 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 struggles with within the nation as well. Uh and on, on at least from his perspective that is. So. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, I think this movie really does bring up some interesting thoughts about a, a lot of these issues that they're involved with and them as people. So it sounds like both of you at least enjoyed watching it. So that's good. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was it was definitely a good time. And you know, it's uh, you know, again, I, I I think that you know, and Regina King, as we discussed during the pitch, right? You know, she so it's if if this is you know the the level uh, that she's bringing to the table, you know, I'm definitely down for more. Yeah, for sure. I'm very interested to see what she does next as a director. I'll be honest, she still could cut, could work on cutting stuff because those first 40 minutes maybe didn't yeah. need to be there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if you had something that if she had a piece that maybe, like you said, wasn't connected to a play that was basically screen played out for this actual medium, I think that might be, I think it might have been an interesting different interpretation as well as as far as the the flow of of the movie itself because again like you said it did take a little bit of time to kind of ramp up and get there but you know once it was there then it was yeah it was it was in it was very enthralling to watch yeah agreed once i got into it uh i was here for it nice so dan would you say bienvenidos a miami as, yes. as a closing i i would i, I would say bienvenido a miami because uh Miami, Miami, Miami's town ain't nothing to mess with, as they say, you know, as Will Smith would say. So, <laughs> all right, thank you. Hey guys, it's Nyan, and I am here to pitch the show F Boy Island, which is currently available on HBO Max. Guys, don't know how you're familiar with. Well, I know how one of how familiar one of you is with F Boys, and possibly reality shows generally because if i recall correctly you guys aren't that into reality shows for the most part am i right well, i mean i mean uh scott i know he you're into the amazing race right yes that is definitely true but that is basically the extent of my reality show viewing yeah most of mine are are are, are steeped in uh food so oh that's fair yeah no i that makes sense because considering Tiners, Drivers, and Dives isn't necessarily reality television. It's just a constant documentary <laughs> with frosted tips. So, okay. So this is a, a little bit outside of your guys' standard watching. So I, I want to at least start off this pitch by just stating exactly what the show is. You may see equivalences with The Bachelor, but it's not that at all, actually, which is it's a, it's quite refreshing. So the overall structure is it is, it is in essence, a dating show. But in a dating competition show where three women have to pick before, between 24 guys. And that's probably about where that's where things start to diverge a little bit it's because you've got these, this group of people, they're hanging out in Ireland and these three women with meet these 24 guys, but half of them are self-styled good guys who are actually decent human beings. And the other half are F boys. Huh. 
hence the name F-Boy Island. But you don't actually find out, at least from the start, who's an F-Boy and who's a good guy. So these these women, these three women claim to actually want to to find um, good guys, but they've got to sort through the F boys first and, and keep the good guys around. So, <laughs> for, so this, this this is sounding very similar to an, another one I've seen. Uh, are you a baker or are you a faker? <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> is, but it sounds very fattening. <laughs> it sounds carb heavy. Uh, was this on the Food Network? Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's, there's, there's it, this. This was, I think it was a split off of another one. There's one where they, they, there's like you're like a chef, or I can't remember what the, what the what the moniker was, but they had a great little kind of bit on that for if you're a chef or you're not a chef, or you're like so if you're a professional or not a professional. So uh-huh. it, it, it's it's a gimmick that I think that some people are kind of going after, but this is even I'd say more diverse, like you were saying, because because you know, this is more of a, a one or a zero as it relates to your profession. Whereas this is, this is more of a one or a zero as it relates to your personality. Yeah. So that's a huge kind of you know, deep end of a pool, if you will. <laughs> Very much. You as a human being. <laughs> yeah. In a relationship. So yeah, a little bit different, but, but similar at the same time. It's like, it does follow the, the general dating competition structure in that, when you know at the end of the first episode they there's an elimination round where they after they've gone on dates during the show because they've had time with the group generally and then they've had individual dates with people that they picked each girl picks the bottom two two uh guys on their list to be eliminated and it kind of happens you know throughout this through throughout each episode however there are twists to it so i'll you know i'll that definitely does happen in the first episode and i'll just leave it from there so you're probably wondering kind of why I think this would work for both of you. And then I actually have reasons why I think it might work for you you guys individually. So mm-hmm. the reason I think it, it would work, this the show works for you guys generally, for you both, is that Nikki Glazer is the host of this show. Oh, man, that's awesome. Okay. Scott, are you familiar with Nikki Glazer, the stand-up comedian? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. So are you guys both fans? It sounds like Dan is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I I saw her on. Well, I think you may have seen her also, Scott. You Scott, you may have seen her on at, at midnight as well. But then anyway, I saw you know specials and other stuff that she's been involved with. So it's it's been great. Yeah, didn't she host like, some type of game show or reality show on Comedy Central at some point? Yeah, she did. Yeah, it was called Not Safe. I think it was all about Not like, Safe. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. It was about like random like sexual interactions and stuff. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was definitely a good time. I I would I thought it was hoping it would go on longer, but unfortunately it didn't. Yeah, but yeah, if you if you guys like Nikki Glaser, which I thought you might, she definitely as the host takes center stage with a lot of the stuff, and her trademark humor is there. It, it's she's engaged. She is definitely. Take, I think she is one of the executive producers, if I remember correctly. So, oh wow, her, her approach to this has actually colored the way the show is structured. And I'm really trying not to give a lot away because it doesn't go exactly where you think it will every time. And so Nikki Glazer aside, definitely a huge selling point. I know you're, you might not be interested in reality shows, competition shows with, with these level of, of meatheads. Oh, let's be honest. <laughs> like they're good guys. They're F boys, but these people are ridiculous. The dumb things that they say and do on this show is kind is kind of, it kind of goes over a, beyond the pale every once in a while because anyone who refers to themselves as a professional TikToker or Bitcoin investor isn't someone you should, you should, anyone should ever be dating in my opinion, because they, they literally have, those are job titles that are posted next to their names in the Chiron. And you kind of get the sense that the show in, doesn't take this things that seriously, but I think those guys might actually take those job t- titles very seriously. If, if uh, nothing uh, else, Wow. These guys are the, the guys on the show are completely ridiculous, and you end up learning what not to do. It is a lovely, lovely piece of Schadenfreude, um, <laughs> and that, that's definitely a recurring theme, at least in, in terms of my pitch, anyway. Because outside of never wanting to refer to myself as a Bitcoin investor, being my primary <laughs> job title, there's just so much dumb stuff that they do. It, it's it's kind of it's fascinating, and I think that's for me. That's a lot of why I watch reality television. I mean, other than just turning my mind off at the end of a day when I've just been reading contracts like crazy, it's nice to be able to just 
relax and watch people make bad decisions that that aren't me, which is great because I, I make so many bad decisions all the time. We we all do, uh, but again, it sounds like these people made life choices that might not have been the right decision. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. Well, and did, I guess we'll we'll find this out when we watch a, a few episodes. But Nayan, do you get the impression that they're really being genuine? That they are genuinely genuinely these horrible people, or is it they're just playing it up a little bit for the show? You know, it's funny. I kind of maybe I'm over exaggerating how terrible they are. I do get the impression that there's there's a reasonably good chance that they are ultimately who they who they portray themselves to be on screen. That said, there's clearly an element of of doing this for the cameras, right? Like they know they're on a reality show. So right. Like that's I guess the whole kind of somewhat ironic idea of reality shows, right? Is that you're not how you are in front of the camera is not necessarily who you might be off camera. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think what, what what I like about F Beyond is it doesn't take itself as seriously as shows like The Bachelor, where because folks aren't handing yeah. out roses on this show, they have these. That, weird... that was to say, they, 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 <laughs> I, I would love to know. What, I can't wait to see what like the 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 device is for you know eliminating people. It's pretty funny, and overall, just the way they approach this stuff, and they're, just the interstitials, like the random cuts between scenes on the show, are, are pretty funny in themselves, and they're definitely making fun of the idea of super macho alpha dudes f boys generally so it, i think that's that's something that you guys uh, definitely appreciate I, I mean on top of them just saying dumb things on the reg which i mean that's just that's a, a, a deal to watch the show is fully acknowledging with these interstitials that the shows are idiot, like the people on the show are kind of idiots in some way right but because they're all younger are, are definitely younger dudes i have to say i don't agree with a, what, a lot of what the women do at, at certain points but you know that the focus is on the guys being idiots and they fully embrace it. And there may be even a way for people to get better. Right. I think that the biggest selling point on this show, as opposed to me trying to pitch you guys, the bachelor, which I actually, Scott, you might've had your fill of the bachelor because you used to listen to Katie Nolan's podcast sports question mark, where they had, they covered the bachelor constantly. It was super, it was the least interesting part of that, the podcast, in my opinion, I don't know if you felt differently. No, I definitely agree with you. Like, I listened to it just because it was part of the podcast, but I mostly tuned out during those points. That's fair. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a good podcast. But yeah, I, like The Bachelor is just too earnest in in trying to sell this idea of these people being truly trying to find a committed relationship on screen with someone they barely know. It, it makes no sense. It's almost as bad as Love is Blind, which I don't know if I'm assuming you guys haven't been watching either, but I've caught a bit uh, of. I've, I've, I've heard about it from uh, from uh, uh, a, a friend of the show, uh, uh, Greg from Brothers and Booze. He he is a staunch fan of that show, oh, and he's, he's literally talked about it. I think every week in the past, like for the past couple uh, of, of those shows. So yeah. <laughs> oh, Daddy Porter's a fan. Oh man, yes, okay. he's a fan. Yeah. I tried to watch a little bit of it because. Kate kept watching it, and I was like, all right, I'll try this. But these people are insane and making terrible, terrible decisions. And normally <laughs> I enjoy that, but I, could, I couldn't deal with it with Love Slime for some reason. I guess why I think this show is better and, and more interesting for you guys to watch is that I think this show actively tries to avoid the pitfalls that you run into with a lot of reality dating shows, the sort of very predictable tropes. I think it does take a bit of a turn. And... That's why I actually end up exercising my annual option to go past the two-hour max of content, which I think this may have been one of the first times you brought it up fully on the podcast. But yeah. once we kind of agreed once a year, there's going to be a show that we think uh, requires us to watch more than two hours. And this is, for me, this is the first one. Because when this premiered, it was actually a three-episode premiere. And I thought oh, it was wow. a little weird. But I realized I think it's something HBO Max is doing generally because they there was another show that came out recently or around the time of recording, uh, Our Flag Means Death, where they also did a three-episode premiere. Hmm. But I think you it, watching the first three episodes in total makes the show more interesting because you, you hmm. really get to see how things develop, especially with there is such a turn from episode one to two to three that it's... If you didn't, if you only saw episode one and then you had to wait another week for the next episode, it might not necessarily pull you in as much. So that's why I'm asking you guys to watch episodes one to three of season one. There is only one season at this point, though it, there, it is supposed to be back for a second of, uh, of F Boy. Interesting. Well, I'm just intrigued by the fact that you 
chose to use your one yearly um, you know, extended viewing time pass for this particular show. I know, right? Like of all the shows you could have picked. Unexpected, yeah. Yeah. I don't normally like these these dating reality shows that much, to be honest, like the competition ones, but this one really, really grabbed me. Like I thought they just did that good of a job. I, I know. I wouldn't have thought it either. There I mean I'd rather be I'd rather be using this on succession, which I will pitch eventually someday, unless you guys watch it. Because everyone else in the world has watched it other than you two, apparently. Um so, a lot, almost everybody has yes, probably. But yeah, no, no. Blowing my wad in F-Boy Island. Which <laughs> might be a title of an episode. So we're bringing phrasing back? Phrasing, yeah. <laughs> we are. <laughs> phrasing is back. So so a question. Yeah. In the in all that you've watched, are there the non-F-Boys that you, know, that you might get attached to as a viewer, you think? Oh, yeah, certainly. There are definitely F-Boys you get attached to. But you don't actually know right away who who is an F boy and who isn't. So like, there's the viewers don't know, right? Wow. So, so is that part of the allure that you're trying to figure out who is really an F boy and who isn't? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's actually kind of one of the well part of the things that made me think it might have been good for you, Scott, because in terms of competition in sports, I mean, you watch you know you watch the NFL, college basketball, and Please correct me. Are you still watching those things? Yes, absolutely. So, and you don't watch sports because the athletes are super smart or, or particularly intellectual or good people, right? You watch them because they're they're good at the game. Sure. But I'm mean, just saying, like you're not watching. You're not. Like, I'm tr- I'm trying to think. You're you're still a Patriots fan, so maybe that's not a good example right now. But who's like you'll watch a, a Packers game to watch Aaron Rodgers play because he's just that good. And yes, I think I see what you're saying. And yes, that I think that would be correct. Well, the F boys are that good at the game. This is just a different game. <laughs> this is a game involving dating. So it's truly a competition. And I think so, there is a point where someone who has played professional football shows up on the show. If you if you look at it that way, and I, I think that's that could be the appeal, is that these guys are all competing together to try and win the championship, which is to date one of these women. Uh, and to be in a relationship with one of them. And so they'll do whatever they can and and try and work the system to to make it work and wake, make their way to the end. Okay, cool. And then I guess for either of you guys, like ultimately for, for, both, for both of you, there is a lot of eye candy. The guys are attractive. The girls are attractive. Plenty of that. The reason I actually thought it might be interesting for Dan was that I think arguments can be made that Dan, that you were a formed F boy. Yes, yes, I think that that's a hundred percent fair assessment. <laughs> and as a former <laughs> F boy, you'll be nostalgic because you'll be able to use that as proof that F boys can change. You're not the only one. F boys generally can be reformed, potentially, and it is great Schadenfreude. It is because you're not dating anymore, so you get to see people out there who are in the dating scene and just how awful it can be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like you know, you, people. I always hear horror stories in, in the in the, in the modern times, as they say, uh, and it's yeah, it's kind of scary to, what people have to deal with. Oh my god, yeah, it's not, and it's just great to not have to deal with that anymore. And uh, there is one person who lists his job title as TikToker, so I'm like that. If nothing else is going to get you on board, you can watch professional TikToker. <laughs> there you go. What people don't always understand about reality shows is that. If the hook and the format and the flow of the show is right, even like the most like you know intellectual people can still get pulled into them because above all else, it becomes a, a story. You know, it's not scripted per se, but by bringing in different characters and kind of seeing where you know stuff lands as a result of doing that, basically, and you're and you're bringing in attractive people above all else, you know, and and. And how that might relate on a on an animal magnetism perspective, you're bound to get something that's you know remotely watchable at least. It should be, you know, it's it's an interesting point because Love Island. I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of that. Like I've heard about that too. Yeah, (laughs) I tried watching like the UK and the Australian version, and it should have been watchable, but it's just so annoying in that it didn't seem to go anywhere ever. 
Like it was just a, a cycle of hot people, which I'm like, if, at that point, I might as well just go on the internet and find just random pictures of hot people. I don't need to listen to them. So, right. Well, I mean, well, that, that that's what makes it so interesting is because you, you have people going in here that have been pre-screened to meet these two different potential criteria, and you know that's that's way again it's way more of a premise than just basically saying, oh, we're going to just throw up eye candy on the screen for people to watch. Right. Yeah. It, it is that definitely does make it more compelling having that structure of the game and having these people pre pre-screened to ideally play the game well. So yeah, I, I'm 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 hoping you guys are here to here to hang out on the island for a while i think you'll enjoy this show because i think it, i think it's a good time like i don't uh, again this is not a genre of reality show that i'm necessarily into i'm not a bachelor fan at all but this show with just with its attitude towards nice guys and f boys generally even though there are points where the women get kind of frustrating based on the the choices which are questionable it's still a good time to watch because the producers at least understand that there's a certain amount of ridiculousness around F-Boys and the hope that maybe F-Boys can change. (laughs) I will leave it at that. I just can't believe I'm about to watch a show called F-Boy Island for a podcast. I'm amazed you haven't seen it already. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are. I mean, let me put it this way. I mean, you know, we, you know, we happen to, you know, know of, of, of a friend of ours who happened to have been in a dating related show. And oh, that's right. I think that we've yeah, that's a whole different type of competition. You know, that was a more of a it's still a kind of a, it's similar in some ways where you're doing with kind of an opposites attract kind of concept in that regard. But here it's more of a mysterious element. It's not just the the, the smattering together of of two different types of people, you know, say, be, say beauty and geeks. It's it, this there's this other element to it. That it, again, it's still mysterious in that regard. The viewers don't know, and the, basically the producers and everyone get to basically you know sit back and watch you know with the your your meme of you know rubbing your hands together behind the tree, uh, going there going there for you. <laughs> wow, I mean, how could I not be intrigued? When uh, went on the island, you know, enjoyed the island, I guess. <laughs> Well, that happened, folks, which uh, brings us to the end of another episode of the Watch OK, Please podcast. We hope you had a good time listening to us spout more nonsense today and hope you join us next week for another exercise in utility. In the meantime, please rate and review us on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or just tell a friend about us. Until next week, keep on watching.